Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Off the Menu with Dara Moskowitz-Grumdahl, the Twin Cities' leading food critic and senior editor of Minneapolis-St. Paul magazine. Off the Menu is all about food in the restaurant, at the market, and on your table. Now, here's Dara on News Talk 830 WCCO. Oh, how good did it feel to unzip your coat a little, get a little of that fresh air and sunshine on your back. Yeah, I took the kids to piano this morning. They did not wear their coats. I thought it was a little brisk. They, You could not get them into their coats for love or money. Why should they? They have put up with too much for too long, as have we all. All right, if you can hear my voice, you made it. You made it through, right? We could still get some crazy weather. And I have a lot of heart and love for all y'all dealing with flooding, but that sunshine, it feels good. How many of you have been, like, peeking around the corners of your house looking for the crocuses coming up? I, I, I would be if I were you. All right. Also, what are you cooking? You know I want to know what you're cooking. This is what brings me joy. I realize it's less than a month till Easter. Who is out there trying out the fancy Easter bread recipes when nobody's looking? Are you are you working on your saffron bread? Are you are you simmering saffron and milk right now? The sound of my voice. Text me. What are you what are you working on? There's a lot of hardcore Easter bread recipes. One day, I got all the time in the world. I'm going to just sit around and braid some bread loaves, put some Easter eggs in them. I can't wait. That'll be a fun time. But before then, I have really good guests today. I've got Erin Rolek from The Bachelor Farmer. She just won this huge, or is nominated for, nominated for a huge wine award. Want to get her on. I have a couple of people. Uh, Abby Rogashecki from the Seward Co-op is going to be talking about a big fundraiser they're doing for Heart of the Beast Puppet and Mask Theater. Um, and, and I've got Claire from the Heart of Beast Puppet and Mask Theater. Puppets? Slightly adjacent to food, but <clears throat> I'm going to make it work. Oh, sorry about that. Um, it's all one thing. We're all we're all celebrating. It's all a celebration of spring, right? We're going to get some crocuses and some watercress and all these things. We're gonna we're gonna just have a good time. And then later on, frozen artichoke recipes because eh, I got a lot of I got a lot of questions about how to eat better. And my feeling is always. Eat more. Don't eat less. Eat more good things, not less, you know, sit around thinking about the Twinkies you're not eating. Think about the artichokes you are eating. So that's what we're going to do. Okay. First up, Erin Rolick is right here with me. She is the wine director for The Bachelor Farmer. Of course, you know The Bachelor Farmer. That's the fancy Minneapolis restaurant that's got a big national following and uh, very interested in cuisine of the north. She has been running the wine program there the whole entire time. She is here to celebrate because James Beard Foundation, semifinalist, best wine program in the whole country. Take that Napa Valley. Take that New York City. We got one of our own. 
Erin Rolick. Um, so she runs the whole thing, Bachelor Farmer, Marvel Bar, the little cafe, all of it. Uh, where did she come from? Where is she going? What is she doing here? She, well, let's ask her. She's right here. Erin, <laughs> welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. All right. So, of course, congratulations. Thank you so much. Very excited. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. All right, so I won't ask you what bottle you popped when the news came in because that's uh... – We popped a bottle. We popped a Capriad, sort of a Method Ancestral Magnum with the team that day. I should hope so. It. Yeah. That's, that's, big, that's a big deal. So let's let the people know. They're wondering, like, how do we get such a big deal wine person in our midst? Where would you come from, man? Yeah. Tell me about you. I uh, I grew up here. I've never left. I've never lived anywhere else except for a short stint um, in college up on Lake Superior in, in uh, Ashland, Wisconsin. Um, I've been a restaurant manager my whole life. I, my first manager job was when I was 17, and I'm 33 now. So when I was 21, um, I was you know tasked with doing my first wine list, and that's kind of where it all started. So so a lot of people don't they they don't like to take that. Uh, downstep in pay they want to be a server making the big money you decided to to go into management track why, why i did why? right away so i never had that glamorous server money for sure so <laughs> I, I went straight in which is which is cool I, did, I was a server for a short amount of time but i've always been a, a manager so when you're 17 the pay cut isn't real you know i guess that's true because yeah. you were not you weren't old enough to to, know. to well or also to serve like you didn't get that but um there's always – it's a kind of a good career track to be on the management side. People don't realize. I've met so many people that do the you know, global, the global hotel hopping because that's – it's always – there's always a job managing a restaurant and a hotel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How yeah. do you get into that? I – man, I don't know. I think I, my first job was in a cafe and I just, you know – was it here Swept in the, the Twin Cities? The best? Uh, yeah, it was down in the uh, south suburbs. In the south. It was in Burnsville. It's no longer there. It was a little cafe. Um, and I think I just, like, swept the floor better than anybody, and so I got promoted, and then I just, like, kept going. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've always loved restaurants. Yeah, I'm a restaurant lifer, too. People, listeners of the show know that I got my start as a sullen, sullen teen. My dad was like, what do you got to complain about? Get a job. And then uh-huh. I went and I got a, I was, uh, thir- I was almost 14. I always say 13, but really last month of being 13. And I got a job as a dishwasher and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I was like, look at this kitchen. They eat really well. Everybody really likes me. And, you know, I don't want to, whatever, but washing forks, not that hard. I was able to do it. People were like, oh, you're good. You stick around. Yeah. <laughs> I was so happy. I was like, oh, people love me. It's the best people too that you can end up getting to know and work with i think the restaurant industry is you know full of amazing talented people so it is amazing talented people loving people mm-hmm. and great food uh, i get the question a lot which is like what's the best meal you had in your life and i think people always wanted to be like well i flew my private jet to noma <laughs> and i was eating a fern frond when suddenly yeah. uh but probably one of the you know the best meals i ever had was literally on the tree stump outside the back door of the first restaurant I worked in where the head chef made me a special, you know, chicken and stuff plate. And I just sat on a bucket with a tree stump and with this amazing food. I was so happy. Mm. We were just talking about my favorite meal at a dinner last night. It was in um, uh, Piedmont and it was this bowl of stew, this sort of gizzard and heart, like totally humble peasant dish. With a with a bottle of amazing Barolo, and it's just like, yeah, that's the stuff. That is the stuff. Yeah. It is one of my constant refrains that you can eat as well 
as any billionaire. You can eat as well as uh, uh, pick your billionaire, Charles Co- Charles Koch, or uh, <laughs> she just gestured at the people on the TV screen. Many of those people probably don't eat as well as we do because, you know, if you know how to put a pork chop in a pan, if you know how to, you know, snip the ends off some string beans, like it doesn't really get better than that. Um, but let's talk about what's going on at Bachelor Farmer. So it's a big wine program. You got to meet the needs of different people, right? People that are just new and don't have a lot of money and want wine by the glass. And then you get the, I know you guys have the superpower, big rollers that come in too. Well, how, how do you, what are you kind of, how do you focus things? What do you, how do you yeah. train your attention right now with all of that going on? I think the thing that I'm the most proud of our list um, about is exactly what you were just saying is this balance, right? Of being able to have accessible um, glasses of wine and bottles of wine and also, you know, cater to people who are real wine nerds and want to go deep on something kind of really classic and hard to find and rare. Um, So I think it's all started with a really clear focus of having sort of only Northern Hemisphere wines on the list, kind of keeping it in a cooler climate direction. Um, And so you get a chance to focus and go a little deeper than, you know, the world of wine is so vast. So not Sardinia and Argentina. Yeah, just no. knock out a bunch of. Well, that's yeah. good. You got to focus somehow. Exactly. Not to not to discount those those regions, but for us, it's just it's helpful to have a focus. Um, so yeah, I think it's really critical to have a wide variety of of you know classics and then approachable wines that people might know and understand, and then like throw in some crazy stuff that you've never heard of and styles. Um, that are kind of modern and then more on the natural side, trying to find a really good balance in a 100-bottle list, which is actually kind of small um, if you if you go around the country and these big, you know, Yeah, some people really proud the, pride themselves on the giant list. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of a – there's a steakhouse in Florida called Burns, yep. which is kind of famous. It's like, it's the best wine list. It's like, do they even really have the 10,000 bottles that are on there, or is it just you just put anything on there, and then somebody orders it, and they're like, oh, we ran out of that, that one. I like, think they do. Burns is pretty – You think they do? I bet they have everything. Do an audit? They have. Yeah. Well, who knows, though? I'm very suspicious. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to parachute in there. I'm going to paraglide in. I'm be like – Wine inspector, I'm here to, I'm here to chase down this whim. All right, so uh, <laughs> um, I had a question. Of, oh, Mueller report came in. You got a you got a wine to pair with the Mueller report. I think I think everybody should be drinking Finger Lakes. New York Riesling or something from New York to support, you know, the SDNY or just or maybe just to observe the SDNY while you're drinking New York wines. Yeah, it's a little SDNY. Yeah, Yeah. some Finger Lakes Riesling. Mm -hmm. That's that's fun. I think what would I what would I a smart Alec uh, drink with a Mueller report? Maybe a Mm. maybe a potato vodka, maybe Mm -hmm. a little spicy. Spicy, spicy Russian vodka. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, some other questions. Uh, let's see. Oh, I've got a question about um, let's talk about the kind of coming spring. I know that you guys are you know, very interested in obviously what's north. What's, this is the toughest season, right? Mm-hmm. But about what's about to happen is all the foragers of the world are going to come through. Uh, you guys hired a forager, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we did. It's really exciting for the first time um, ever in our eight years of being open. Uh, our new chef, Jonathan Gans, uh, kind of recognized that foraging is a really n- necessary part of 
exploring the north and what it means to be, you know, a restaurant in the north. Um, so we hired um, a full-time forager that's going to start kicking up things like river grapes in two weeks so or so, you know, whenever nature sort of gives I don't know stuff what river us. grapes are. But I don't know either. I can't wait to find out. I've, I know what beach grapes are because I did a Bahamas story, and that mm. was that was neat. They have neat things. But uh, that kind of brings up the question if – Obviously, a lot of wine wine traditions come up around European foods. Mm-hmm. Um, what you know will that be tough? Will you be able to pair wines with hen of the woods mushrooms and morels and I don't know fiddlehead ferns? I don't want to say ramps because we're as a food community we're supposed to stop telling people to dig up ramps because mm-hmm. it's causing mm-hmm. too much environmental degradation. So people don't go destroy the world in your pursuit of ramps. Ramps are delicious, but we also need the world. Um, so all those kind of foods, like, are you know, how do you how do you pair kind of un, I don't want to say unusual, like out of the mainstream foods such as we have here in Minnesota when we actually go look for them with you know this kind of European wine tradition? Yeah, I mean, I would say that there's so many historic European wine regions that have similar climates that, that we do, you know. So there's some really um, great parallels for our our sort of winter situation to places, you know, overseas as well. And that, that have like really rich generational heritage too. So I, I always like to, you know, start with um, what grows together goes together, you know, um, which we don't have uh, the same timeline here in the U.S. as, you know, say Italy or France. But um, there's a lot to explore. And I'm really excited to kind of dive into this new foraging program and just see what works. But um, like ferments and preservation and uh, mushrooms, like you were talking about, really lend well to a lot of different wine styles. So it's um, actually easier than I think maybe one would think. You just got to kind of play around. It's really fun. Well, it's easy for you uh, maybe, there yeah. with your big wine knowledge and your big uh, national <laughs> nomination oh. for overseeing a wine program. All right. Aaron Rolick, it is just uh, so cool to meet you. It's so good for you to come in today and talk about Bachelor Farmer. Uh, people, go on down to Bachelor Farmer. You're going to meet Erin and uh, raise a glass in her general direction for bringing Minnesota wine knowledge, breaking it wide. Erin, thanks for coming in. Hey, thanks so much. All right, we're going to come back and we're going to talk puppets. We're going to talk about kind of Minneapolis coming together as a community to support our Heart of the Beast puppet theater and the May Day Parade and all those things. Um, also, nobody is sending me what you're cooking. How am I supposed to? Are you all outside just gardening and you don't have time to cook? I understand that. I had some, I have some spring cleanup to do myself. But if you're in there cooking, I want to know what you're up to. Text me, 81807. Dara here. All right. I'm happy to see the text line is filling up with questions. You got more? Send them, 81807. But right now, we're going to talk about puppets because we always only it's here on the food show. No, we, we don't always do. But one of my absolute personal favorite parts of Minneapolis, the May Day Parade. I love the Heart of the Beast Theater May Day Parade. You've probably seen it, the giant paper mache heads and other things. And they march down the streets and they end up in Powderhorn Park. And it's a great party. I've taken my kids. I went when I was a... 20-something, you know, I've, it's been a part of my life. Lo and behold, all of a sudden this winter, there's a good WCCO news story about the fact that there's not enough money to make this happen. They've been doing this for so long, 
Apparently it cost $200,000 to throw that parade, which I kind of was not surprised about once you start thinking about it. It's like, oh, you need all the cops at all the intersections. You need the permits. You need porta-potties. You need, like, a lot to make it happen. And, you know, like, I've had a party for 20 kids at Roller Garden, and suddenly it's $500. You know, so the money adds up. And then, so we're trying to raise money to make this Heart of the Beast puppet theater happen um, Seward Co-op, I'm a member. I love Seward Co-op. is one of the great places, great butcher shop with uh, all these local meats. Anyway, so Seward Co-op is throwing in, helping them do a lot, trying to raise money here. So I've got the crew from Seward Co-op, where I love. I should go there more. And um, also uh, Claire Curran from Heart of the Beast Puppet Theater is here. So you guys, welcome to the show. Abby Rogashecki from Seward. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Dara. Great right. to be here. Let's talk about this. What are y'all doing at Seward to to help this poor little puppet theater get their money so they can pay the cops and have the parade? Well, I mean, I think there is a connection between food and puppets because, right, food brings people together. And that's what May Day does where this is a community gathering. We all own this beautiful community gathering. And so we're just trying to do our part as Seward Co-op. We're throwing in for this fundraiser March 29th. Claire can tell you more about it, but we'll, we're throwing in $5,000. We're going to match the first $5,000 donations for this fundraiser party. And Claire, tell everybody what's happening on Friday, next Friday, the 29th. What is, what is going on? Next Friday, we are celebrating the premiere of a film about a kid's perspective of May Day. So we're going to throw a great family-friendly party. You're invited to come down to In the Heart of the Beast at 7 o'clock. We're going to have a red carpet, a big puppet photo booth. We'll show the film. We've got some live music. And then we'll ask our neighbors and community to pitch in to help us raise the $200,000 May Day budget. Oh, so it's going to be like a real party, a dress-up party. <laughs> yes, we're asking people for May Day formal, so go crazy. Of that Ooh. you're gonna get a lot of tutus, you're a lot <laughs> of uh, tutus and paper mache <laughs> and ball gowns. I bet. <laughs> I mean, you know, Powderhorn, the kind of central part of Minneapolis, is just such. It is a food treasure house. Or so mm-hmm. because so many people live there. You get your, you know, third generation hippies that are, um, you know, doing beautiful foods. You've got. Full on, you know, Ingebretsen's one of our regional treasures, you know, founded in 1910, I think, our Swedish market. Um, I go there as much as I can. There's all of the great uh, Mexican food producers, a bunch of the um, best tacos in town, the best tortillas around. You know, you Mm. can also go to the African places. So, I mean, the central part of Minneapolis is, of course, I'm a food person, but it (laughs) feels to me like it is just, you know, so much great food there. Yeah. No, and you can, I mean, that I love the way you're describing just the diversity in food traditions just in that one neighborhood. And, of course, we want to celebrate that as a co-op community and also just in the, not just Powderhorn, but just all of Minneapolis, right? And and what it feels like to me is whether you're involved with food or whether you're in the arts and theater community or whether you're a community activist, like this these types of gatherings that bring us all together to, I don't know, it's, I see it as like really envisioning the world we want to create, right? And we all need to take ownership over that. Yeah, I got a text saying that uh, someone says that their first mini donuts in the par- in Powderhorn Park at the May Day Festival are like their kickoff to summer, <laughs> right? And so 60,000 people come every year to this parade, right? That's right. 
That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. The first year, May Day in 1975, there are about 50 people. So when you think about how this celebration has grown and the people who've grown up with this festival as part of their lives, people who choose to stay in Minneapolis because of May Day and raise their kids in this place, I mean, this is exactly what this festival and community is about, is bridging our neighborhoods and bringing the best of our community together, exactly as you're saying, to envision the kind of world we want. And that's why we're so excited to celebrate May Day this year and to figure out a way for it to be more community-owned in the future. Yeah, because it mm-hmm. is really outgrown outgrown yeah. sort of a, the abilities of some puppeteers to to make it happen because you mm-hmm. guys are good with the puppets. I went – okay, <laughs> so everybody, if you go to my Facebook page, Dara.Grumdahl, you go to the main website, mspmag.com, where my, my work mainly appears, you will f- see the story that I wrote because I got to go into the puppet storage at Heart of the Beast. It was crazy. Like imagine you open up this fire door and then there's just all of these aisles and bins and just like heads. So many heads, you know, so it's like heads of rabbits and heads of wolves and heads of huskies and heads of owls and heads and then little skeletons and just I mean it was uh just the most magical place and to think that this kind of little scrappy bunch of people have been putting on this festival for 60,000 people mm. for $200,000 a year. I mean, it's a lot of money. Okay, so HOBT.org, that's Heart of Beast Theater, HOBT.org is where you can kind of find a bunch of these links. But I have them all. If you go to Dara.Grumdahl on Facebook, if you go to, I don't know, Dear Dara on Twitter, if you go to MSPMag.com, you'll find links to all this. Read about them. I know that for a lot of people, it's just, you know, it's just that you you have that homing instinct like, oh, I'm going to go see puppets. It's, it's May Day. <laughs> Make it happen, people. We can't freeload off these people. They have, we have overwhelmed their resources. We need to bring it all together. We need to go to Seward Co-op and help them out. We need to go to this party on Friday night. We need to donate. We need to make these puppets happen because they're an amazing part of our lives. Come join us on March 29th. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you, guys. We come back. We're going to talk about artichokes. I'm going to answer your questions. You got questions? 81807. Dara here. All right. All the questions are piled up here. Uh, Should we do our artichoke recipes first? Yeah, let's do that. Then we'll have a long, meaty question section. Um, You got them questions. You got to send them to 81807. If you don't send them, then I can't know your questions. I could try to read your minds from here, but that's kind of invasive, so you wouldn't like that. Here's what I got. Okay, so I get a lot of questions about how to eat better, and the the questions always seem to go to this place of what am I going to eliminate from my diet? What am I going to deny myself? How am I going to get through the days of elimination and denial? How you know? And I don't. I think all of that is just a plan for failure. Here's what I think you should do. I think you should eat more things that are good for you. Artichoke hearts are, have all kinds of you know antioxidants and things like that, but they're they're really good because they feed you what's called. They're prebiotic. They kind of help your everything that's inside your gastrointestinal tract. Like they help the, it live more vibrantly. And so they're delicious, but then they're also really good for you in this way that a lot of things are, like in a different kind of way that's good for you. So I put five favorite frozen artichoke heart recipes up at WCCORadio.com. And here's what they are. 
I want a little easy one for those of you who are very skeptical, and that is a spinach artichoke dip. Yeah, it is. It's very – it's the spinach artichoke dip. As long as you don't eat, like, two loaves of French bread with it, that's a pr- not a bad thing. And you could have something um, – perhaps you would have some seeded crackers on the side, or perhaps you would you have some Belgian endive. Endive. That's what I said. I said it like that. I'm fancy like that. All right, a really good little step up into your more gourmet universe. Basic, these oven-roasted garlicky artichokes. So all you're doing here is just defrosting your artichokes, just using the frozen ones. We're not messing with the whole thing. We don't have that kind of time today. You're going to defrost your artichokes. You're just going to, uh, you know, toss them with some garlic oil. That's all you're doing in a pan. And then you're going to kind of just get the whole thing. Heat it up. That's all. Very easy. So some basic oven-roasted garlicky artichokes. Then I've got a nice, this is a this is a good spring dish. You could put this on your Easter table too. Braised artichokes with tomatoes and mint. So, you know, throughout the Mediterranean, you know, the, uh, the northern reaches, Turkey, Ireland, I mean, it, ugh, Italy. Why did I say Ireland? A little leftover, St. Patrick's Day. So Turkey... Italy, Greece, uh, Lebanon, all those places, people will kind of braise together artichokes and tomatoes. And it just does something, just makes the artichokes taste really sweet in this really fun way. Um, So I've got this braised artichokes with tomatoes and mint. It is just so healthy. This is more healthy. You're thinking, no, an avocado kale smoothie is the healthiest. No, I think that this braised artichokes with tomatoes and mint, that's just wildly wonderfully healthy. So you can make that not hard. I did. Then I thought, well, for a little, you ambitious food people that want a complicated thing. I've got Joel Robuchon's chicken tagine with artichoke hearts and peas. So this also, you know, requires some saffron, but if you want a cooking project, it's fancy. It's good. It's got to be your birthday. It's got to be someone's birthday. Okay. And then my last one, this is another just insanely healthy one. And it's an Easter recipe, so you can practice it this weekend and then do it for real for Easter. It's a Greek Easter artichokes with fava beans. So this is you know, garlic, lemon, a couple different kinds of onions, you know, leeks, and so on. And then artichokes and fava beans. This is just you could you could just live the most vibrantly healthy life if you had these. This is so good for you. You know, you're not going to be sitting around thinking, oh, woe is me. I don't have 25 Oreos. You're going to be thinking, oh, hooray for me. I have these amazing artichokes with fava beans. So think about it. All right. These are all up at WCCORadio.com. They look good. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to have a luxurious and long section where I can answer your questions. So if you have those questions, you got anything, just Tickling at the back of your mind, 81807. Dara here. All right. This is my favorite part of the week. I get to visit with all y'all about all the things. So I've got the first one. Always want to know what you're cooking. Someone out there in the 612 has a pork shoulder in the big green egg and is making char sweet pork for my daughter's use in ramen. Now that is a 
Good Saturday. I love those big green eggs. I've always been too, uh, let's say, thrifty, if not broke, to uh, get one of them. You know they're like big honking ceramic uh, grills, and they just hold heat so you can. Once you get the heat up, even if it's a cool day like this, you can keep that going. So I'm officially jealous of whoever in the in the in the six one two here has got a pork shoulder in the big green egg. That sounds delicious. All right. Also in the six one two, a salad nissoise because it's spring. I love that salad nissoise is delicious. I put a recipe up at wccoradio.com last week for my salmon salad nissoise. There's a lot of ways you can do the tuna. Some people swear by a fancy jarred or canned oil pack tuna. Some people just really like the, uh, you know, a, a f- tuna. I don't like the carbon dioxide cured sort of fresh tuna steaks that are everywhere. They, they taste, they can taste really like nothing to me. So I, I put a salmon one up there, but you know, whatever you're doing, it's a great, that's a great dish. Once you've blended uh, you know, something naturally fermented like nissoise olives or Kalamata olives, a black olive that's naturally fermented. You've combined that with a couple of vegetables. That's that's some good healthy eating. All right, I got a question. Can I buy farmed ramps somewhere? Yeah, you can. I have seen farmed ramps um, in the co-ops recently. They were they were actually in the wedge this week. Uh, they're from Oregon, so you can get that. And then people will you know, bring them to the farmer's market from their own land. What's been happening, though, is that people are going and just digging up in the dark of twilight, uh, you know, giant swaths of riverbed. And, it, it, you know, you're taking the whole plant. You know, what we eat with the ramp is the root part. So if you're farming them yourself, you know, you're not, you're not a dummy. You're not taking all of them. You're taking, you know, you're thinning them. You're taking some of them. So, yes, you can buy farmed ramps. They're in the co-ops right now. From Oregon, where it's where it's spring. All right, I got a, a question about recommending the best foodies to follow on Twitter. Oh, that's a good question. Like me, I am at Giradera, and then there are other humans in the in the on the planet. <laughs> Some of my favorite follows. I follow the Civil Eats account, and that has a lot of information about farm policy, food policy that I'm really interested in. Um, Andrew Zimmern has a fun Twitter feed. Tom Colicchio from Top Chef, he's got a good one. I like the New Yorker food writer. She's been on the show a few times. Uh, Helen Rosner, she goes under Hells, H-E-L-S. Uh, but, you know, it's a it's a rambunctious universe up in there. You got to be ready for some cursing. So those are all those are all fun things. Fun things, cursing and also food together. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. What have we come to? People stopped making their own mashed potatoes and everything went to heck in a handbasket. All right, I got a good I got a question. Can I make anything good with canned salmon? If so, what? You know, I have been batting my head against this problem for many years because you talk to sustainable seafood people and they're always telling you about canned salmon is one of the best things. It's good for the Alaskan fisheries. It's uh, the most affordable seafood, right? Um, I, (laughs) here's what, here's the only way that canned salmon works for me. And I have tried many different ways. I really like canned salmon once you make it into sort of a pate. So, 
you get it out of the you get it out of the can you you know pull out the skin or the bones if you if you do that or if you believe truly that it should stay that way you just leave it that way um, and then in a food processor you blend it with all the things that go in a pate so it might be some cream it might be, you know there are different recipes maybe I'll do a roundup of those different ways to use canned salmon so the the pat you know so you're turning it into a spread. Uh, you're going to maybe have some garlic, whatever, you know, is delicious to you in that kind of can, using canned salmon on the way to uh, a salmon spread. That's probably my favorite. And then I have tried many um, canned salmon salads. And for me, the best ones have more acid, more, you know, so lemon juice or uh, vinegar, something to them, uh, pickled pepper rings. The last thing I made with canned salmon that I actually really liked was just a uh, Salmon salad, but I used so many. I had this giant jar of uh, of pickled pepper rings, and so I just used those up. Oh, we got a suggestion: a salmon puff, which is a f- savory bread pudding. And we got a uh, an another answer, which is salmon loaf and salmon cakes. Now, see, I want to like salmon. I like salmon cakes if it's fresh salmon. I've never had salmon cakes from canned that didn't. That they were just, I did not, they did not thrill me. All right, I got a question. Uh, somebody needs to buy wine for an engagement party. Their sister is doing the cooking and they are buying the wine and they want to know what to do. <laughs> well, it's easy enough. I, you, I'm doing this big promotion with Liquor Boy in St. Louis Park where I've been going there and picking out the wine. We finally got everything in a, in a thing in the front. I've got a bunch of $6 and $7 wines that are really good and then all the way up to like 12 So just, just go there. They have this Portuguese um, vino verde called Pluma. I would get, and I think it's $6 or something like that. It's just really crisp and vibrant. And I would get half a case of that. And then I would get, I don't know how many people you didn't say. And then I would get half a case of a really drinkable red. Um, I think that we have, uh, oh, just so many of them. There's, there's just like a beautiful Argentinian Malbec that's really affordable that everybody likes. And then, you know... Call it call it a day. I know it's kind of stressful when you have to buy wine for for a big group, but trying to help. So that's the St. Louis Park Liquor Boy by the Home Depot. That's where I have all that going on. And by the Costco, you know that part of the world. All right. Two things. What are fava beans? I must have said that wrong. Fava beans. B-E-A-N-S. You know, the little kind of squashed, heart-shaped critters. Beans. They're fava beans. And are green onions good for you? All the plants, all the plants are good for you. Uh, there's, I've yet, you know, aside from maybe deadly nightshade or something. But, uh, you know, if you're, if the reason that we eat all the things we eat is because they're good for us. And the, pro, and the you know, scallions, leeks, all of them, all those uh, kind of sulfur-having plants, they're really good for you. They reduce the risk of heart disease. Uh, just, just good for you in all kinds of ways. And when you're making... You know, something that's a braise of fava beans and all the different kinds of onions. I mean, and the artichokes, it's just filling your whole gastrointestinal tract with all the things your body needs to succeed. All right. We got a question. What kind of dessert would you serve with a wild game dinner with venison as the featured meat? Oh, that does sound lovely. You know, I if you're cooking at home, I always like to make a cake. A cake 
I know they're, they're kind of off trend because you're not sitting there fussing at the stove. But if you make, say, oh, and maybe a, a, a nut flour cake with an orange, with some kind of orange, orange zest, if you go in that direction, um, that can really, it's just kind of a, a game dinner can be pretty heavy. And then that can be something that is both light and really appealing. So, yeah, I would make a bunt cake with some orange zest. Oh, a question about growing indoor herbs. That is, it is just, can be wonderful and it can be a pain, right? Because you can get mites, you can get mildew. Uh, I have a little light in my kitchen and I tuck herbs under it and they last for a couple weeks. Um, Growing indoor herbs is better than having no herbs at all. I think (laughs) that's what I got. All right, my last time for is uh, somebody out there is braising lamb shanks in the oven. The garlic aroma is heavenly. Dinner is done, so it's time to cheer on the gophers tonight. Okay, you win. You win Saturday, braised lamb shank person. Oh, I guess the green egg pork shoulder person is also winning Saturday. All right, so what is happening here next week? Well, uh, next week we're going to have one of the great food writers of America, Janet Fletcher. She, we, she's been on the show before. She's based in San Francisco. Um, she has a new book, and she's going to come to to talk about it. She's, uh, you know, we're so lucky on the show that I get to pull in these giant food people from all over the country. So San Francisco's own Janet Fletcher, the legend. That's what we got next week. All right, so till then, I hope your snow drifts melt to reveal crocuses and little bluebell shoots and none of the other stuff. You know what it's like with these snow drifts melting. Scary stuff coming out of them. But not for you. I hope for you it's just crocuses. And I will meet you here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.